You are listening to the teaching podcast of Praise Community Church in Mason City, Iowa. For more information about our church, please visit praisecc.org. Yeah, we seem to be living more and more in a culture, don't we, where, you know, red is green, green is blue, up is down, down is up, right is wrong, you know, wrong is right, good is evil, evil is good. And uh, there are times when I think that maybe as a culture, we've kind of, you know, hit rock bottom, and then just suddenly a new level of depravity kind of emerges. And sadly, the whole month of June has been designated as Pride Month, the national recognition and celebration of the LGBTQ plus community. And what's sad to me is we set aside one day a year for our veterans. We set aside one day for our mothers, for our fathers, and yet we have a whole month for a lifestyle that revolves around sexual preferences and then Some of those preferences uh, also involve very deviant practices. And it simply reveals how far we have fallen as a culture. I mean, I think if anybody deserves a month's recognition, it's our veterans. It's our veterans. And just in this last year, we're seeing more and more sexual deviancy being catered to and aimed at children. Some as young as kindergartners. There are schools now all across this nation that have libraries that are allowing more and more sexually explicit materials depicting both heterosexual and homosexual encounters. And these books and these teachers and these people who are promoting this are all describing this as something that's healthy innocent and natural. What we're witnessing is an increase in drag queen performances in our public schools. Iowa is no exception. This past May, um, a high school in Ankeny invited local drag queens to come in and perform for high school students as a part of its Gay Straight Alliance year-end program. I saw in the Iowa Standard not too long ago that a high school in Earlham this past spring did a school play called She Kills Monsters. And the play revolved around exploring various uh, sexual identities within the LGBTQ community. Many parents who attended that play were caught off guard by the explicit description of many of the characters and did not feel this was appropriate for high school students, let alone junior high elementary kids that were in that audience. And just last week, I saw a gay bar in Dallas, Texas had what they called a family-friendly drag queen performance. And there were many elementary age kids and younger were participating on stage uh, with the drag queens. And many of these kids were also given dollar bills at which point they were stuffing them inside uh, the underwear of the drag queens. All the while, you can see on video, the parents, they're just watching, you know, adoringly. They're taking uh, pictures and, uh, and just approving of everything that goes on. To me, there is no such thing 
as a family-friendly drag queen performance. Now, you know, six months ago, if I would be talking about this or I would make a statement like that, there's no such thing as a family-friendly drag queen show. Our society, many of you would have come up to me and said, yeah, we've always agreed with that. I mean, why are you even talking about that? That's never been an issue. And look at where we are. You cannot go anywhere on the internet today and see where there are more and more and more of these performances. And many of the people in attendance are defending this stuff as innocent, fun events, as just helping people to kind of better understand the art of being a drag queen. I saw just, I think this past weekend in Des Moines, again, drag queen performers, many very young children um, in the audience. Now again, I can point to many, many more examples of this kind of fun, family-friendly entertainment in our culture, but I think you get the point. And I think this is the whole thing that the Apostle Paul was warning Timothy against. I don't think Paul had exactly these kinds of things in mind, but it was things like this. And he says to Timothy, in 2 Timothy 3, beginning in verse 1, he said, you should know this, Timothy, that in the last days there will be difficult times. See, I, I think we're, we've always been in the last days. I mean, from the time Jesus was crucified and resurrected, we entered into the last days. But I think we are in the last days of the last days. Now, I don't know if that means that, you know, Jesus is coming back or we as America, we are in the last days of the last days. But I think we're quickly approaching that point. And he says, for people will love only themselves and their money. They will be boastful and proud, scoffing at God, disobedient to their parents and ungrateful. They will consider nothing sacred. They will be unloving and unforgiving. They will slander others and have no self-control. They will be cruel and hate what is good. They will betray their friends, be reckless, be puffed up with pride, and love pleasure rather than God. We see this playing out in our culture today. And short of a national revival, it is only going to grow worse. Now, I think it's important to kind of note that from the very beginning of creation, God made us as human beings with the capacity to seek out and to enjoy pleasure within certain boundaries. God is not a cosmic killjoy. God created us and he created the world in such a way for our pleasure, for our enjoyment. It was his plan from the start. I think that's probably why he gave us five senses, hear, taste, touch, smell and feel so that we could enjoy, we could experience certain aspects of life. Life was meant to be enjoyed, not just endured, not exploited. God made us in such a way to be able to enjoy and appreciate and to give thanks to God for the world he created. The problem is, today in our culture, pleasure-seeking has become an obsession. It's not just a good thing to be enjoyed like God says it should be, 
But in many cases, it's taking the place of God and it becomes the number one goal in life. For many people, pleasure and entertainment have become the ultimate value. For many people, having fun, pleasure is their God. And the more our pleasure and our entertainment in life is detached from God, the more depraved and destructive it has the potential of becoming. We see this in so many areas of our culture today. Just like back in the Old Testament times, we see so many societies that are kind of built on this motto of eat, drink, and be merry. Let's go for the gusto. If it feels good, do it. In today's environment, it is so easy to get caught up in the pursuit of pleasures that you kind of just begin to think and you kind of begin to act like everybody else does. That your whole purpose in life is just to enjoy yourself, no matter at whose expense. From God's perspective, from the word, there is so much more to life and we'll never find that so much more apart from a relationship with God. In fact, there are many, many dangers that come with and are associated uh, to making pleasure, whether that is good or evil, the ultimate goal in life. God says pleasure's good, but again, within certain limits, within certain boundaries. But it should never, ever Become your ultimate goal. It should never, ever take the place of your relationship with God. When pleasure becomes your ultimate goal, when it becomes your God, there are five potential dangers you open yourself up to. The first one is, it wastes my life. You were not put on this earth simply to lay out by a pool and play computer games. God has a much greater, grander purpose for your life. He wants you to be productive. He wants you made in his image to have purpose in life, not just take up space and have fun. Luke 8, 14, he talks about, Jesus talks about this in the parable of the four soils. And he says, by the pleasures of living, life is choked out of them and they produce nothing. Again, the key word there is produce America used to be one of the most productive nations in the world. We no longer are. We are the most entertained nation in the world. And you can have a lot of fun and never accomplish anything. And when that happens, it wastes your life. And it goes against God's purposes and plans for who he created you to be. Second thing it does is it causes conflict with others. James 4.1 says, where do all of the fights and the quarrels come from? He said, they come from your desires for pleasure. When pleasures, particularly wicked pleasures, take priority over people, you're eventually going to have friction. When our pleasures, if those are fueled by drugs, alcohol, lust, greed, or things, again, that take the priority over people, it's only a matter of time before that's going to begin to negatively impact other people. The Bible makes very clear that the pursuit of pleasure, particularly immoral pleasures, 
has the likelihood to cause conflict in relationships. The third thing it does is it tempts me to do wrong or to do even greater wrongs. Hebrews 10.2 says this, there is pleasure in sin for a short time. Now the writer in Hebrews confirms what every one of us know from our own personal experience. Most sins, most forms of sin are pleasurable. They're beneficial. If they weren't, we wouldn't do it, right? It's the promise of pleasure or gain that tempts us to sin. In 1716, the French atheist and philosopher Voltaire wrote this. He said, pleasure is the object, the duty, and the goal of all rational creatures. Do you realize that's a definition of hedonism? If pleasure is the object, the duty, and the goal of all rational creatures, then you know what? It doesn't really matter what anybody else does or if anybody else gets hurt or gets exploited as long as it pleases you, as long as it meets your goals in life, it's fine. 250 years later, after Voltaire made this comment, there was a man who said, I'm gonna build on that foundation. I'm gonna build on that premise. His name was Hugh Hefner. And the magazine was called Playboy. Do whatever you want. It doesn't matter what happens to anybody else. There are no rules. There are no boundaries. There are no limits. As long as you please yourself. Fourth thing is, it ultimately will lead to boredom. If you want to know the end result of living a life solely dedicated to pursuing pleasure, you need to look no further than Solomon's uh, biography. It's called Ecclesiastes. And in Ecclesiastes chapter two, um, he says this, I decided to enjoy myself. And by that, I mean, he just, he blew past all limits, all boundaries, everything was on the table. He said, I decided to just abandon it all and enjoy life, pursue pleasure. He said, anything I wanted, I got. I did not deny myself any pleasure. Then I thought all about all I had done and I realized it didn't mean a thing. It was like chasing the wind of no use at all. He's saying that self-indulgence will ultimately lead to despair over time. If you don't believe, go and look at the suicide statistics just in Beverly Hills alone. Life was meant to be more than simply one party after another, one pleasure after another, how be it ever good. God never meant for you and for me to find our ultimate purpose in pleasures. Again, we need balance. Part of what makes pleasure pleasurable is that it's balanced with work, with other important, meaningful pursuits. The most miserable people in life are people who live simply a life for luxury and leisure with nothing else to do except to kind of just titillate themselves uh, with pleasures. There's more to life than that. And again, we need balance. So the inevitable result of the pursuit of pleasure, again, will lead to boredom and despairs. 
despair. The final one is it's just going to destroy my character. 1 Timothy 5, 6 says this, the one who lives for pleasure is dead even while he lives. The person who is making pleasure, their goal is not living, they're just existing. They're existing from fix to fix, from fun time to fun time, from pleasure to pleasure. Philip's translation says it this way, that same verse in 1 Timothy 5, 6, this person is killing their own soul. The self-indulgent life will ultimately become a suicidal life because it leads to death. If you don't believe it, if you don't think it wrecks your character, go and read the biographies of any of the people who have lived their lives like that. John Belushi, Andy Warhol, Truman Capote, Chris Farley, Kurt Cobain, Elvis, one right after another. The ability of being able to have whatever you want, whenever you want it, to do whatever you want to do, when you want to do it, to live life that way, the scriptures make very clear it will eventually become destructive. Now, interestingly, pleasure comes in four stages. The first stage is what we call the fascination stage. I'm sure none of us have ever met anyone. I'm sure none of us have ever made our pursuit or goal in life that I intend to be a drug addict. My goal in life is to become an alcoholic. It just starts with fascination. I wonder what it would feel like to drink this. I wonder what it would feel like to do this to watch that, to eat this, to snort that, to shoot this, to smoke that, to have that kind of experience. Again, fascination. Phase two is what we would call preoccupation. Pleasure has the tendency to preoccupy you. I often, you know, as I look at video games today, I don't know how many of you remember the very first video game I ever remembered seeing come out was Atari Space Invaders. How many of you remember that? Man, I'll tell you what, the first time I saw that and played that, I was so fascinated. And it did not take long for that fascination to go to preoccupation. I could sit there literally from sunup to sundown and play Space Invaders and never take a break. Never take a break. It, it was so much fun. I'd never seen anything like that. If you go out and you buy some skis and, and you go skiing this weekend and you have a great time, what do you do? The next weekend you say, one hour wasn't enough. Let's go the whole day. And then a week after that, let's not go to church that weekend. Let's go ski. And again, it just begins to preoccupy you more and more and more. So it begins as a fascination, goes to an occupation. Phase three is addiction. This is where what you've been fascinated and occupied now becomes an addiction. This is where it really begins to consume you and to control you. And then phase four is inevitably destruction. Philippians 3.19 says their future is eternal loss for their God is their appetite. I would suggest to you today that our culture is between phase three and phase four. So the question becomes for us, so how do we as, as Christ followers, as we wander through this environment, how do we live in this culture 
without buying into that system, without getting caught up in all of this? How do we keep from getting sucked up into a pleasure-obsessed, entertainment-driven culture? Let me just quickly give you three things. First thing is, remember, never forget the real purpose of life. The real purpose of life is more than just having fun. The purpose of life is more than just experiencing thrills. The purpose of life is more than just feeling good. The purpose of life is much bigger than that. I've talked to people who the the purpose, the goal in their life is just to make a lot of money and then retire. They recently did a study in New York and they discovered that one half of all men in the state of New York died within two years of their retirement. Why? Because God did not make us, he did not create us, and he did not intend for us to have 24 hours a day leisure. We were not made to simply get up, have fun, go to bed, and get up the next morning and repeat it all. If you're still alive today, regardless of how old you may be, it means God is not finished with you yet. Up until your dying breath, God has a plan and a purpose for your life. And it involves more than simply traveling around and seeing the country. If you are alive, God has purpose for your life. And it is destructive on us if we think that all we're here for on this earth is just to get to the next fun time. When I was in college, before I became a Christian, I've shared this story before. I just remember it being a very pivotal moment in my very early faith. I had a Garfield, the cat poster uh, on the wall in my dormitory, and it had this caption above Garfield saying, I live for Fridays, implying that I was just really living for one weekend uh, to the next, one Friday night to the next, one party to the next. Once I became a Christian, I remember one day walking in and looking at that poster and that saying, I live for Fridays. And I began to think to myself, what a superficial purpose to live for. So I found a marker and I I went over to that poster and I crossed out the word Friday and I wrote above it the word Jesus. I live for Jesus. When life becomes defined by how soon do I get to the next night on the town? How soon can I get out on the golf course again? How soon can I go on another shopping spree? How soon can I get out on the boat again? How can I get that next snort of cocaine, that next drink of alcohol? How soon can I go to the next party? Life becomes pretty shallow and meaningless quickly. Listen to what 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 2 through 4 says. From now on, from this point forward. And there's that grace that says, you know what? Repent of the past. Don't get bogged down. Don't get trapped by the past. But from this point on, going forward, that's the grace God gives us to turn from that which is wrong and to embrace that which is right. And so he says to us from this point on, from now on, live the rest of your life controlled by God's will and not by human desires. So there, he's kind of giving us two options in life. You can either say, I'm going to be controlled by God's will 
I'm gonna, I'm gonna pursue his plans and purposes for my life or I'm gonna be controlled by human desires. He goes on and he says, you've spent enough time in the past doing what pagans do. Your lives are spent in indecency, lust, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties. Not a lot's changed, has it, from when Peter talked about this? And now when you don't join them, they insult you. But they will give an account of themselves to God. If you're a Christ follower, then you've got new and important purpose in life, and you don't need to live life the way you used to live life. That's, that's the purpose, that's the goal of what he's calling us to as Christ followers. The Roman Empire declined because of decadence. It was not taken by external force, but it died because of decadence. The United States is in decline for many of the same reasons, and we will eventually destroy ourselves if we do not repent and turn back to God. Russell Kirk, a social critic, defined decadence this way. He said, decadence is the loss of an aim or purpose in life. Men and women become decadent when they forget or deny the object of life and so fritter away their years in trifles or debauchery. So remember the real purpose of life and the Bible gives us many uh, definitions of that and one is found there in Ephesians 2, chapter 2, verse 10 and he says, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in in them. I want you to know this morning and throughout the day, God has prepared good works for every one of us. They're out there waiting for us to discover them, for God to lead us into those good works. God has prepared good works for us, and he wants us to walk in them. The second thing is enjoy balanced living. As I stated earlier, life is a balancing act. The Bible says in Ecclesiastes, there's a time for everything. It says there's a time to cry and a time to laugh, a time to play and a time for work. There's a time for seriousness and there's a time for silliness. And both of them are God's will. Neither seriousness or silliness is more spiritual than the other. All of that kind of comes in the ebb and flow of life. And Solomon's just talking again about the varieties of life and how we experience all of them and we just need balance. We're not designed to work all the time. In fact, God put rest and recreation in the Ten Commandments. The fourth commandment says, every seventh day you take a day off. That's important how rest and relaxation and rejuvenation is. I know some of you don't need this sermon, but there are those that need more pleasures in life. You're so stressed out because all you think about or all you do is work, work, work. If you want a model for balanced living, I would recommend looking at Jesus. Jesus knew how to have fun. As a matter of fact, I think Jesus was probably one of the most fun people to be around. We know he went to parties, we see in, in John's gospel there in chapter two that, that Jesus went to a wedding with his disciples. 
Jesus had balance in his life. He had times of pleasure and times of work, and we need both as well. The point I want to make is this. If you don't plan for healthy pleasures in your life, the world will seduce you with unhealthy ones. That's the most important thing you may hear today. If you don't plan for healthy vehicles of pleasure, recreation, rest, and relaxation in your life, you'll be tempted and seduced by the unhealthy ones, and all of us know they're everywhere. Paul understood this balance. He says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 26, for the earth and every good thing in it belongs to the Lord and is yours. It was given to us to enjoy. God made an enjoyable world and believers more than anybody else ought to have more fun. We have to have balance. The third one is just avoid destructive pleasures. That's the third thing that we really need to do in our culture today. There are some activities that God's very, very clear on avoiding, on telling us to stay away from. In Ephesians 5, he says, don't get drunk. He says, don't get intoxicated. Why? He says, because you're letting something else control you when you're drunk. It's the opposite of self-control. Second Peter chapter 2, verse 19 says, don't get addicted to anything. That could be television, computers, our cell phones. I mean, Jane and I were just having a discussion about this last night, how easy it is to just constantly have a screen in front of your face. And when that screen's not in front of your face, you just don't know what to do with yourself. You don't, you don't know what to do in life. So don't get addicted to anything. And that could be, you know, bodybuilding, food, jogging. I mean, there, there are things that are healthy that we can kind of become unbalanced in and they can become very unhealthy. 1 Corinthians 6.18 says not to get involved in sexual immorality. That right there alone would save a lot of people heartache and a few diseases on the side, right? The latest being monkeypox. All the laws, all of those do nots in the Bible, God put those in there specifically for our protection, for our, our blessing, for boundaries, to, to know this is where we can go, but no further. Long before Nancy Reagan ever coined that phrase, just say no, as part of drug awareness program, Jesus was also saying, just say no. The apostle Paul was saying, just say no to certain behaviors. Titus 3, verses 3 through 5 says, For we ourselves were once slaves to passion and pleasure of all kinds. So again, there's, there, all of us have a history with that. E even the most uh, you know, godly people in Scripture, Paul being chief among them, he said, For we ourselves were once slaves to passion and pleasures of all kind, but when the kindness and love of God appeared. Now, I want you to take note of that. When, when the anger, the wrath, the judgment of God appeared, no, it is the kindness, it is the love of God appeared. Paul says in uh, Romans 2, 4, um, he said that uh, it is the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. The good news is a new life is available. For many people, it's an escape. For a lot of people, they, they look for pleasure. They look for entertainment. 
because they're trying to escape something. Could be that they're trying to escape their, their pain. They're trying to escape their past, their hurts, their frustration. Many people live lives with hobbies because they don't want to face the hurt in their marriage or the fact that their kids are not turning out the way they had hoped. So they kind of begin to escape maybe into romance novels, daytime TV, sports. I mean, there's a whole plethora of things that people use to escape into. And it begins to consume their lives because they're running. And I think one of the greatest questions of all times that we need to stop every so often and ask ourselves is what am I running from? And what am I running to? What am I running from? See, for some people, they run from one addiction to another addiction. They run from one vice to another vice. What are you running from? And what are you running to? I will tell you that regardless of what you're running from, the only one that we should be running to is our Heavenly Father. He and He alone is the one that can heal our broken hearts. He's the one that can kind of help us deal with our past. He is the one that gives us a future. He is the one that can infuse us with hope. And so this morning, I just want to leave you with that question. What are you running from? And what or who are you running to? It'll make all the difference. Amen. Let's stand together this morning. Father, we just again thank you that you have made a way for us. And it doesn't matter what it is that we're running from, you have made a way of escape. And you have made a provision through the body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ as we talked about earlier. You have made a way for us through Jesus to come to a place of repentance, to come to a place of healing, to come to a place of salvation. And so, Father, this morning, as we think about that question, what am I running from? Father, I pray for those this morning that, that may just feel that they're just running from one bad thing to another. That, Father, this morning, that through your kindness and your goodness, through the grace and the mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Father this morning, for those who are caught running from one bad thing to another, that this morning you would open the eyes of their heart. That God, you would shed the love of God abroad in their hearts to know God, that, that they would know that you love them, that you accept them right where they are. And that God, you have a plan and a purpose to heal, to deliver, to save, to redeem their past, and to infuse hope into their future. And so, Father God, this morning, we just, we look to you that whatever we're running from, that we would run to you this morning, knowing that you are the source of life, that in you, Father God, is the fullness of life that every one of us seek and desire. 
And so, Father, this morning, I just pray for any hearts that are, that are just hungering for true purpose, for true life this morning, Father God. I pray that you would open the eyes of their heart, that you welcome them through your Son, Jesus Christ, Father, that you welcome them through repentance, through turning to you this morning and just giving you complete control and acknowledging that you and you alone are the one who can give me purpose and meaning in life. Not in just this life, but in the life to come. And Father, we thank you for all of this. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. What did we see here this morning? Uh, just following. Thanks for listening. For more information about Praise Community Church.